Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. My name is Mary Margaret Hayes. Um, I serve uh, on kids and prayer team, and I'm part of the Parker Station CG, which I, ooh, which I just love so much. Um, so thankful for that. Today I'm going to read from um, Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Family, good. Not afternoon. Good morning. Um, Yes, I, like Mary Margaret, am grateful for this church and grateful for y'all. And um, honestly, just grateful for the God that we serve. Um, God is good to his people. And so I hope that you even experienced that today and excited to get to see a little bit more of him together today. So we ready? All right. Uh, We are continuing and we're beginning to wind down our Uniquely Jesus sermon series uh, where we're looking at various stories told in different gospel accounts. And today we come across a really obscure one. Uh, Luke tells this story of this miracle about the raising of a widow's son. And this story is likely intimate to Luke because of the lowly nature of this woman. Luke has this huge heart for justice. And being a Gentile himself, he has a huge heart for those who would have been kind of cast out of society, showing that God not only doesn't cast them out, he actually draws near to them This woman has seemingly lost all things in her life, having lost all of the males that are around her. And Jesus, rather than casting her out or rather than counting her out or rather than seeing her or this town as a nobody, he actually has compassion on her. And so this story is kind of brimming with this truth that's beneath the surface. And so uh, let's dive into this some because I think it has more meaning for our individual lives than what kind of on the surface meets the eye. And so Jesus comes to this town called Nan, and uh, this actually means beauty or pleasant place. And yet a pleasant place is the exact opposite of what Jesus gets introduced to in the midst of this story. It is now gone from a beautiful place to a place of death and of mourning. This quiet town was not really a quiet town that day. It's probably filled with shouts and with tears and with sorrow. And so the name of this town actually immediately gives us some of the insight that we need in this story. Because this town is actually only mentioned here in the Bible. 
In fact, the biblical scholars, they actually have a hard time placing where the exact location of this town is. And so immediately we actually get a point from the story is that Jesus enjoys or proactively visits nobodies, right? Like, so like if you feel like a nobody or like a forgotten one or like a cast out one, or maybe you feel like you're an unthought of one, even if nobody on the earth thinks about you appropriately, the God of the universe does. Not only does he think about you, he wants to visit you, family, like, like today. Like this Sunday, God wants to visit you. And so immediately we see this important point of the story. God cares for and thinks about the people who most people really wouldn't spend much time or mental space on. God cares for the lowly. And so I kind of hope that's good news for us right out the gate this morning, because I know at times I can feel like individuals or people do not care about me. And even if that is not true, the reality of this story is that the God of the universe does care. He sees and he wants to interact with us. And so the son of God came into this nobody town. And I believe the son of God wants to come into our lives even today as well. And so this small town actually got this huge increase. Notice that it says the disciples and a large crowd was there. This town was probably like 200 people max. And so it was all of a sudden overwhelmed with visitors. It was like Austin in March during South by Southwest, right? The streets was all crowded, normally good people be cussing out the road congestion, right? And so I think actually when Jesus steps into the scene of our lives, it can feel overwhelming as well. Like at times it can even feel like there's chaos surrounding around us once Jesus interacts in our lives. But I believe that with that chaos is trailing some of the most beautiful peace that you could ever imagine, right? Like, like you know how when Jesus steps into your life, it feels like storms come at times, family? I know I ain't the only one, right? Like, like, and yet peace is often trailing all of that commotion in significant and in life-altering ways. So when chaos all of a sudden visits your town, also be looking for Jesus to be doing a miracle in the midst of it. Look for his presence, his character in the midst of that. And so Jesus comes into this town, creating all of this chaos upon already the chaotic situation. And then he draws near to the gate of the town is what it says since it would have been considered unclean to actually leave a body in the city, this was actually likely the day of this son's death. Meaning this grief is fresh, y'all. Like, like it's palpable, it, this just happened. And so Jesus is entering into a very tumultuous, a very heavy, a very weighty situation. This woman is a sufferer. I cannot think of a greater pain than having to lose a child, but probably right along with that pain is losing a spouse. And this woman experienced both of those realities. Notice the emphasis on the passage even, and, and, and are some of the words that we get throughout this section. Do you ever feel like you're suffering so much that and is the only appropriate word to communicate the level of suffering, right? Like, like this went wrong and this went wrong, and this is happening, and this grief came. Like this woman knows pain, she understands grief. Additionally, this was her only son, the text tells us. And so what it's telling us is that this woman actually lost everything, that it wasn't just that she had grief, there was literally no more hope to fall back on. 
Most of us have a hard time understanding that level of grief because even when we suffer and have grief, we at least have a little bit of hope to fall back on at times. This woman had lost all of it. There's no comfort, there's, there's no support here for this woman. And so I think the context of that culture is important so that we can feel the thrust of what the story is trying to communicate and the underlying joy that kind of carries with that thrust. And this culture, this woman, she didn't just lose her family, though that is difficult and hard, she actually lost her entire way of life. In that kind of male-dominated culture where so much of productivity was based on strength, it was often a reality that if there was no man in a woman's life, then she had an inability to provide for herself. We gotta take ourselves out of American context. Think about that context. There's no government assistance that's going on for this woman. There's no local church that cares for the orphans and widows that has been established just yet. There's really nothing. And so this woman has lost all hope. She is mourning not just the loss of family, but literally the loss of her livelihood. This is really serious, y'all, right? This woman is a woman of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The fact that a considerable crowd is with her kind of further emphasizes this point that she's experiencing. And that culture where somebody would lose something, particularly in death, a crowd would come along and they would begin to mourn that death with them. And so the fact that there is a considerable crowd there, a larger amount means that this loss was very magnified. It wasn't just a little loss. The entire town was recognizing, man, this woman is almost as dead as her spouse and her son is dead. This is significant. And so the crowd comes out to support her in this. Now, there's a quick, uh, important kind of side note that I, I want to hit on. So, so don't lose the idea of the grief of this story, but, but try to catch this as well. Let's hold both these things in our hand, okay? Let's put grief over here to the side real quick. But think about the reality of what this story is painting for us. It says that a significant portion of the village was with her probably indicating both the magnitude of the loss, but it's also a really good picture of community. Like we should really come around each other and rejoice where people have reason to celebrate family. Even if we are in seasons of suffering, to rejoice where others are rejoicing, it reminds us that joy is indeed coming for those of us who believe, and it does lift us some out of the reality of some of our suffering. But we should also mourn with those who are mourning because even if we are in a season of victory, when we enter into somebody else's mourning, it reminds us that this earth is not our home and that there is a reason to come around people and lift them up and be the person of Christ. We should enter into mourning as Christians. So this small town is really the picture of what a local church or what a community group should be for individuals. And there's power in this. And catch this, y'all. Okay, don't miss this. Because the town was willing to enter into her grief, everyone present also saw the miracle of God in her son's resurrection. Notice, it does not say that the whole town was there, just a significant portion of the town. That means those who stayed back, they missed the miracle of God. Entering into grief, I believe it can be hard 
and it can be really scary, but we should enter into one another's grief as Christians so that we can show the love and the support of Christ, but also because as you enter into it, you may be entering yourself into the ability to see God move in miraculous ways when God comes through for that suffering person. When we avoid grief, we actually often avoid seeing the hand of God as well. And so entering into other people's sorrow cannot just help lift them up. It can lift you up too as you see the hand of God move in their sorrow family. And so this is important here. Now, back to the grief idea, okay? There's this community and then there's this grief that is really, really fresh. It's this strong grief, this, this deep grief. Like, like, can you feel the palpability of this woman's grief? Yeah? Like, 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 can you put yourself in the story here? In fact, verse 12 in the Greek, all of the words that are there are deeply feeling sorts of words. There's this high emotion that is there. And so in comes Jesus, verse 13, right? The, the way of life now meets the way of death. But question, why in the world is Jesus even here in the first place? like in this small town in Galilee, in the middle of literally nowhere. In fact, I have a map on the screen, which I know that it could be hard if you're in the back. Don't worry, we're installing stuff in March, okay? I'm probably gonna say that every week, but I try to do it here. That red kind of portion up at the north side, that is where Galilee is. And Jesus did many miracles that were there in Galilee. And down there, past Samaria, the green portion is Jerusalem. And where Jesus did virtually all of his ministry was in Jerusalem and then up north there in Galilee. And here, all of a sudden in that red text, you see this random middle of nowhere country. And so they weren't Samaritans, but they were really close to Samaria. And the Jews definitely looked down on the Galileans. They had questionable origins. And so where Jesus is, is outside of his normal rhythms. And so why is Jesus just kind of randomly here? Why is Jesus kind of randomly in your life at times? Well, what the story is telling us is that God cares. That's a really simple truth, but it's a really important truth. Notice that it says that Jesus had compassion on her. That word compassion there is this deep, deep feeling word, and it matches all of the emotion from uh, uh, verse 12 in verse 13 as well. And so all of this feeling that this woman feels and that the crowd feels, Jesus actually feels that with her as well. He feels it in his gut. He loves this hurting and this broken woman. In fact, it's really clear by this verse that Jesus was moved by her grief because he sees this woman, it says, and then he's moved to compassion. Don't let this just be a story though, family, right? Like, like this isn't a parable, this is real life. And, and, and the scripture was not written down just to give you some random historical account. No, it's written down for our life as well, written down for our instruction, for our edification, for our encouragement. It's written down to show us how God wants to interact with us as well. And that means this is good news for us. Because if you feel broken in different seasons of your life, know that that brokenness and that grief actually moves the heart of God to compassion, right? You do not serve a God who is distant, who is in heaven only, and that is it. You do not serve a God who's, who's looking at you in the midst of your grief and saying, come on now, right? Like, like don't you know how small your suffering is compared to the grand scheme of eternity? Like, don't you know how, how I'm actually using this for your sanctification and good? No, that's not what God does. 
even though there may be truth in the reality of those statements that glory is indeed coming for those of us who believe, despite God's ability to do miracles, you still serve a God that is moved to compassion like we see here, right? Jesus is able to heal. In fact, Jesus is about to heal and he knew he was about to heal, yet he feels deeply for you and for her anyway. Listen to me, saints, please hear this sentence. You serve a God who cares, who cares about you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you serve a God who wants to extend this level of compassion towards you. It's why we should follow Jesus because he loves us. There is this love from the divine. You should want to follow a God like this. This is good news, family, right? Like this is gospel truth that God actually cares. Like God cares, despite how often your mind tells you that he does not care. That word compassion there in verse 13, it's a really complex, really long word that I was literally going to try to say, but I'm not finished trying to say this word. Look at it. Okay, so that word, okay, it's actually only found in two other places in all of Luke's writing. And you can tell, even if you know not an ounce of Greek, there's like three or four words combined in this word. That's what Luke is doing here. This story is, or this word is used two other places. It's used at the Good Samaritan story, where Jesus tells the story about the man that sees the man suffering, he has compassion on him. And then it's told of the prodigal son story, where the father sees the son running from afar and has compassion, this deep, deep feeling of wanting to help. Ironically, that word there, it's only used in the gospels because it seems that only Jesus can feel this level of compassion. The apostles, they had a hard time conjuring up this level of compassion. And even though we're called to feel like that, according to the parable story, not another human in all of the scripture ever feels that word. It's only used in the gospel. Meaning, no matter how good your community is at suffering with you, you will likely still feel a lack at times because you need deeper compassion, family. You need the compassion, the love, the feeling of God. You need God present in the midst of your suffering or that suffering might overwhelm you and drown you, family. You need the compassion of Christ. And he feels this, y'all. And he wants to feel this grief right along with you. He wants to take this grief and enter into it with you, family. God is good. God, God is good. The compassion of Christ now moves Jesus to action. In fact, it almost seems like the more grief that's present, the more it moves the hand of God to action, which I would say is the truth that we see echoed throughout the scriptures. And so, so don't miss that, that kind of underlying point there because I really kind of put the hope of compassion before the reality of suffering in this passage. But in seasons of suffering, it is really easy to feel like, does God care? Right? Like think about this widow. Like I feel like, does God see me? Does God really see all of this suffering that's going around? He's taken away my only two sources of provision, my, my husband and my only son, and, and does God really see? And as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, it is easy to allow our situation to dictate the goodness of God versus God's faithfulness and character to dictate the goodness of God. Like we let our circumstances become more reality into our theology than we do allow God's character to form our theology. 
We allow our situations to tell us who God is rather than the scriptures to tell us who God is. And so you can take this story and leave it as a story and leave out still allowing your situations to breathe life into your theology of God. Or you can see the truth of God and says, no, God cares, family. It's important that we see this reality, that we believe these truths. And yet even if we are left wondering, does God really care? He tends to enter into our circumstances anyway. Notice he walks in and says to the woman, do not weep. Now it's interesting because in Lazarus's resurrection, he actually goes and he weeps with Mary. But here he says, do not weep. Weep. In fact, in that story, they sent for Jesus and he delayed and intentionally allowed Lazarus to die. Here, homie just sort of showed up on the scene, right? Ain't nobody sent from him. They didn't even really know who he was. This is the middle of nowhere. And yet Jesus just shows up. There's more contrast between these two resurrections, but the point is, is that the way that God reveals himself to us is often different. So if you're looking for the old way of his presence, you might be missing the new ways he wants to reveal himself to you. Listen, his deliverance from suffering is often him showcasing different realities about who he is if we would look for him in the midst of our suffering. There's another point to this story too, though is that Jesus just sort of randomly shows up and no one's looking for him. He's just all of a sudden there on the scene. Jesus is the one that takes the initiative here. There's nobody that calls out for him like the centurion. There's nobody that calls out for him like Mary and Martha, which I think is often true in our lives as well. We may not really be always looking for him. He just kind of shows up, y'all. Jesus, that means, may be trying to bring joy into your season of suffering. So do not ever grow weary of keeping your eyes on the spiritual horizon, looking for Christ to show up in your life, family. Come on now, that's a word for somebody in here today, right? We need to not grow weary of looking for Christ to show up. There's a lot in this, but the point is clear. Jesus is moved with compassion and Jesus wants to respond. And so Jesus comes up, and he touches this dead man, and then resurrection comes. Come, can y'all imagine this scene? This is chaos, right? First of all, Jesus addresses the dead man directly, which is an act that would be humorous or tragic if this was not the incarnate son of God. But notice the importance of what's happening here. Think about the context, right? The law says that anyone who touches something that is dead immediately becomes unclean. And so usually when you touch a dead thing or when a dead thing touches you, then you become unclean. But when God touches dead things, it does not make him unclean. It makes unclean things come to life. There's so much that we could say here, family, right? But, but listen to this for our church, for your own life as well. This is now three weeks in a row that we're doing a sermon where God steps into virtually dead situations and then brings life out of them. I think Jesus is trying to say something to our church, beloved. Like invite him into your hard situations. Bring Jesus into your grief. Bring Jesus into your trauma. Bring Jesus into the hard seasons of your life because your grief provokes the compassion of God because he is not a distant God. He is a God who cares about you. This is good news. And out of that care, out of that compassion, you begin to see pictures and truths about God that make you worship him in ways that you never knew him before and that you did not know possible before the suffering you entered into. 
Jesus wants to enter into our story, family, and he wants you to enter into his. He's trying to make things right if we keep allowing him into our grief. Family, joy is coming, just like in this story, for those of us who endure keeping our eyes on Christ. You know, every funeral service that is in the scriptures, Jesus interrupted and resurrected the person. I think that's so interesting. In fact, Jesus seems to always be showing up in the midst of death. So if you're in a season of death, hello, right? Like, like maybe you don't get the same sort of healing that we see in this story, but my guess would be based on the messages that we can see throughout the scriptures is that God is wanting to reveal himself and give himself to you in the midst of that death. If you would see him, if you would invite him in family. This is good news for us, for our souls. And so Jesus, he touches this and notice, it still calls this dude a dead man even after the resurrection, emphasizing, I believe, the depth of this healing, but also the future reality of this man as well. We'll get to that in a second. But then all of a sudden, homie just starts talking, right? Verse 16, it says that the crowd got scared and a commentator this week, they, they wondered why. And I'm like, because this dead dude just sat up and was like, dang y'all, ain't this crazy? It's hot up here. Why y'all carrying me, right? I'm hungry. It's like, I'd be scared too, y'all, right? And then Jesus, he gave him to his mother, that text says, which seems sort of strange. Ain't this a grown man? The text literally says that about him in verse 12, right? And now he's handing him over to the mother. Why? Well, there's two reasons for this, I believe. The first reason is that this miracle was actually done for the mom because Jesus had compassion on the widow. That's the thrust of this story. He's showing that he cares. So God did not just randomly do this miracle and then bounce out of there. He showed why he did this miracle because he cared. And then he handed the son to her. And so Jesus just doesn't want to randomly show power in your life and then bounce family. He wants to show you that he cares for you. And that even if this miracle doesn't come in the way that you desire, he still wants to show his presence to show you that he's a God who cares. The miracle is great, but knowing that God cares about you is a far greater reality. Y'all hear me? The miracle is great, right? But knowing that God cares, the God of the universe cares about you, that is a far greater, a far deeper, a far more beautiful reality. And so look for God's character in the midst of suffering, not just God's hand. One of them will make a deeper impact on your soul than the other. There's a second reason here too, though. It's not just to show the woman that he cares, but this entire picture is a foreshadowing of a greater death and a greater resurrection that is to come. This story is about a son that is rising from the grave, which is a picture of why Christ came to earth to die, but then to resurrect and through this pay the penalty of our sins so that we too might enter into the joy of God and be with him forever one day. And so Jesus gives this dead man to his mother and would actually go on and imitate that exact same action just a few years later. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 26, we see this at the death of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to this mother, woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And so just a few years after this incident in Nan, there would be another son that would be headed to death, Jesus. And as he's there, as Jesus is dying, the worst death imaginable, rather than him being given back to his mother, he would die. In fact, just like this woman, Mary, Jesus's mom, would have been in a very similar situation. Most scholars believe that Joseph is dead because there's no mention of him past the age of 12 in Jesus's life. And now her oldest son is about to die. Yet even in his most tragic death, as he is taking on your sin and my sin, he is still thinking about his mother and giving compassion to her. I think as he gives this resurrected son to his mom, he is foreshadowing what he himself would do one day, that even in Jesus's death, he had compassion. Yeesh, come on, y'all, right? But Jesus would actually go on and die, family. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse, verse 12, it says, so Jesus suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood, just as this man was being carried outside of the town, so Jesus too would be carried outside of the town. God knows what this type of grief is like because God also lost his only son. He was carried outside the city. He was buried into a tomb. And just like this man in the story, Jesus would die. But just like this man in the story, Jesus also wouldn't stay dead. Jesus did for this woman what God would ultimately do for him. You see, Jesus would also resurrect, but his resurrection was an even greater resurrection. This man in the story, the dead man, would eventually die again, but Jesus resurrected to never die again. He died to pay for the sins of you and I, and he rose so that you and I who believe in Jesus, we too would resurrect one day and will never die again. The miracle that happened here in Luke 7 will happen to every individual who believes. Hallelujah, y'all. That is good truth. In fact, it is the voice of Jesus that resurrected this man. Was it not? He said, arise. And guess what? First Thessalonians said, at the end of the time, he will call out with a loud shout and all the dead in Christ will hear his voice and rise. You get resurrection. You become the son in this story because Jesus took your place, family. This is good news. This story is a foreshadow of what is to come. It was written to show us that God visits nobodies, that God visits us in our grief, that God wants to move in our life. And even if we don't see a miracle, a greater miracle is coming, beloved. A greater miracle is coming. And so we grieve, and rightly so, family, but we do not grieve without hope. God wants to enter into that grief, family. Your God is not distant. He wants to enter into it. And for those of us who believe, even if that miracle is delayed, you will get it one day, family. Jesus will pay all things. But I also think he often wants to interrupt our funeral sessions today and bring resurrection and joy now as well, if we would look for him to move. Okay, so how do we end this story, right? We got the gospel truth, okay? But this story actually has a really ironic ending. The people in verse 16, they're clearly shook, right? They're like, dang, this dude is dope, but I'm low-key scared. And then they give these really strange remarks. 
First of all, they say that God has visited his people, which their words were prophetic without even realizing it. Like God had indeed visited his people, but not through some random prophet. This is God himself standing there in front of them. This is what Christmas is all about, right? Why we celebrate Advent, that God became flesh, Emmanuel, God literally being with us in Christ. But do they really believe that this is God with them? We have to remember the narrative flow of Luke at large. If you don't know the ending of the story, which most of us in here do, but if this is your first time reading Luke, you're left thinking, wait, who is this man, right? Like, like who is this? And some may not have really understood and believed. And so Luke probably put this here, not just to show us that God has compassion for those who are in grief and that God cares for the lowly, but he also probably put it here as a narrative tool asking, do you believe yet? Do you believe? Do you see Jesus for who Jesus truly is? A biblical scholar named Oscar Coleman, he notes there's an absence of a definite article before that word prophet. In other words, they did not think this was the prophet to come. They thought this was a prophet to come. And Luke chapter nine, verse 19 shows the entire crowd is still confused about who Jesus is. In other words, there's likely very little or maybe even no messianic confession in these statements here. They're just in awe at God's power meaning you can see the very hand of God and choose still not to believe, family. This is way too long for today, but I had cancer when I was 13. My granny prayed for me and I got healed. I didn't walk for three months, was in a wheelchair and got up and started walking. And I didn't believe for multiple years after that. You can literally see the hand of God and still not just choose to follow God. And even for us Christians, you can see the hand of God moving and still choose to not really believe that God is wanting to enter into your life, family. And so it's one thing to see God and to go, man, God is good and be in awe, but it's another thing to go, no, this is God. I believe in him. I want to follow him. That's what Luke is trying to get us to see. Do you want more than just a miracle? Like, do you want God himself? Because you can have all the miracles in the world, but without God himself, this man that resurrected is still a dead man. We need something deeper And so the application isn't just recognize God cares about you, but it's also, hey, find God in the midst of sorrow. Enter into this story with God. Invite God into yours. Realize that God is entering in, not just to do some miracle, but to give himself to you. And as you have Jesus, even if not a single miracle ever occurs in your life, you will resurrect for eternity and have all the miracles you ever need, family. God wants to enter in. But once again, I believe that God is still wanting to enter into our life as a church as well. Because where Jesus is, things change. Meaning you can look for him in your grief and you can recognize that at times he just heals, y'all. And I believe that there's some of us in this room today that God wants to just heal family, to heal trauma, to let you walk in the freedom and the joy of the gospel. But I pray that we would not be like these town people and miss them and look just for the healing and not look for the God beneath the healing as well. And that as we see him and invite him in, we would allow beautiful things to happen. And so family, the application, like look for Jesus to show up in your life. Invite him into your grief. Invite him into your trauma. And even if miracles don't come, which I believe God wants to do some miraculous things in our church, I feel it, y'all. But even if it doesn't, He's still a God of compassion who loves you, who gave himself up for you, 
and who will resurrect you on that great day to never die again if we believe in him. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys tremendously. Let's pray. great prophet of God, Jesus, the prophet of God. I thank you that your words are not just random words. They are the prophetic words of God. They are true. That you, God, want to enter into our life and bring us joy everlasting. And so I pray for these men and women that are in here right now. God, I pray blessing over their life that they would feel the joy of the Lord just like this widow felt. That you would enter in and resurrect and bring hope and bring life and bring peace and bring your presence, God. Would you bring your presence into my brother's lives? Would you bring your presence into my sister's lives? Would you bring your presence into your son's and daughter's life, Jesus? And God, even as you tarry and delay, would we see the miracle underneath the miracle that God became flesh because he cares? And would we believe that, Jesus, that you care about us? Would we not allow our suffering to cause us to lose heart? Would we allow our, our, our suffering to actually push us closer to you, to look for your hand, to recognize you show up in the midst of funerals? You were there. Jesus, in your kindness and in your grace, would you be there? Would you be there for us? Would you be there for your people? We love you, Christ Jesus. We thank you for your death and for your resurrection. We thank you that as we're in this Advent season, that, that we are celebrating the fact that you, God, you came down to earth. You care. Let us believe that, Jesus. Christ, we love you. We worship you. We bless you. I pray that even as we close our gathering, that you would enter into our grief, that you would enter into our joys, that you would enter into our lives and allow us to truly behold the goodness of who you are, Jesus, even this morning, God. Christ, we love you. We pray these things in your precious, in your beautiful, in your holy name. You are the prophet of God. God, you have visited us, your people. We are now your people. Thank you for that, Jesus. We love you, Christ. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.